Welcome to the Springs Church Podcast, where we explore the teachings of Jesus Christ and how they can be applied to our daily lives. Join us as we delve into the Bible and discuss topics such as faith, hope, love, and forgiveness. Our mission is to inspire and empower our listeners to live a life of purpose and meaning and to deepen their relationship with God. Tune in every week for a new episode as we learn how the Bible, Holy Spirit, and a relationship with Jesus will impact every area of your life. We're going to be talking on faith today, but we're going to be talking on what faith is not. Okay? Reason being, is I feel like there is a lot of misconceptions about faith out there. There's uh, whether there's cultural influences that have moved into what faith is or, or whether there's different interpretations or, or maybe each of us actually fall prey to how we measure our faith in different ways. And I'm trying to pull apart some of those so we can get back to what biblical faith is and what Jesus taught us. And, and we'll be looking a lot in Romans today. Now, I'm not naturally a deconstructionist at all. <laughs> But sometimes I feel like we got to pull away some of the things that get added just out of habit or out of repetition, to be honest, at times. I'm hoping we can, I can nail a couple things that I know I've dealt with, uh, I'm sure some of us and you deal with at different times in terms of measuring our faith. But before we move on, would you guys pray with me? Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that your word is alive. Thank you that we can trust you, Father. Holy Spirit, we invite you in this place. We thank you that you are here, that you will lead us into all truth, that you'll be our teacher today, Father. Um, as, as we dive in your word, Holy Spirit, make this relevant and real. And, and would you really just pinpoint areas in our life and our heart that we need your word to change and transform us, God. Father, we also we lift up our nation of Canada. We thank you that we live in such a great nation of Canada. It's a blessing to live here, Father. We live, lift up every Every single leader on all different levels right now, Father, we thank you for them. God, we thank you for their leadership and their guidance. And we pray that you'll continue to lead them. Lead them into the truth and knowledge and direction that you want this country, Father. And if there are leaders that are not following after what you want for this country, if there's leaders that want to take us away from what this country was founded upon and built upon, Father, we ask that you take them out of office and bring in people, Father. Raise up leaders who are going to make this country free and great and make it empower its citizens and to continue to to lead and build upon the Judeo-Christian principles that is built on God. We love this country and we thank you so much for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone in agreement said amen, amen and amen and amen. The title of the sermon is What Faith Is Not, if you're taking notes. How many people brought their Bibles? Hold them up nice and high. First service has you guys beat, just so you know. All right? Just how, who's got their electronic Bibles, like legit electronic Bibles at the top? All right, get the Bible out. There's a couple people faking it, I saw. Get the Bible app open. We're going to be turning to Romans chapter 4. We're going to be reading, reading about 9 or 10 verses here. Romans 4, verse 16. Romans uh, is, a, is a powerful book. Um, if you haven't read it, you should read it. Amazing book on doctrine and grace and faith and righteousness and our justification through faith through, and the gift of grace through Christ alone. Paul is, it's beautiful how he articulates and helps us understand what we've all achieved through faith in Jesus alone. Not on your own merit, not on what you've done, but what Jesus has done. And we're going to read in chapter 4, which is now Paul starting to talk about the faith that Abraham had. Because it's an interesting thing that 
Abraham was considered righteous before Jesus came and died for his sin. Through faith, it was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How many people, if you have a relationship with God, how many people know that through your relationship with Jesus, you are righteous? How many people believe they're righteous? It means you're in right standing with God because of what Jesus has done. So Abraham, before Jesus, it was counted to him as righteousness, his faith. And I think we can learn a lot off of this passage. But if you have your Bibles, read it to me in verse 16. It says, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. That's you and I. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He is the father of us all because of his faith. That is why. We'll talk about how that, where that led to. Verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. That's God saying. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope, that's Abraham, that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Note that Abraham, his faith for what he was believing was from what God had said. It just wasn't from a want or a whimsical notion he had in his head. He got his promise and his word from what God said. Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. <laughs> That's a way to describe Abraham. His body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered, considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. That's an interesting statement. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. But he grew strong in his faith as he what? He gave glory to God. Interesting, a little bit of a prerequisite there. Fully convinced that God was able to do what God had promised. That is why faith, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believed in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul here is giving a masterclass at trying to break down a couple barriers that people were dealing with at the time, basically letting them know that it is your faith and your faith alone that considers you righteous. It's not your works. It's not where you're born. It's not how well know you know the Bible. It's not all of these things. It is in faith in Jesus alone. So a lot we can learn from there. We're going to dive in just a moment. But, you know, it's funny. As we start to t pull apart maybe what faith is not, I was playing with my son Gabriel, who's 17 months this past week. And one of the things I'm, I'm trying to do with him is I'm trying to teach him how to play hockey already. I'm vicariously going to live through my son on his journey to the NHL. 
just getting it going right now. So I'll give him this little mini stick. I've even put it over the, the burner on our stove to heat it up to curve it lefty because I, I want, want him to be a lefty like me. See if it works out that way. And I have him when I give him the stick and I show him. I'll, I'll go like this back and forth, show him how to stick handle a ball, do some toe drags and that kind of stuff. And I'll give him the stick. And then the first thing Gabriel does is he goes and he grabs the stick and he'll do this and he'll turn and he'll give me a slash like right across the wrist, right? So I'm feeling like in order to teach Gabriel what hockey is, I actually have to show him what hockey is not at this point. <laughs> hockey is not just slapping people with your hockey stick. Next time I give him the stick, okay, son, it's not hitting. No. <laughs> bad. I don't say bad. Give him the stick again. He goes back and forth. Then Gabriel will turn and he'll walk like this and he'll walk to the stairs and he'll throw the hockey stick down the stairs. Because why? Everything gets thrown down the stairs in our household. You know, the next thing you give him the hockey stick, no son, we, we don't throw things down the stairs, right? Bad. Come back and you give him the stick and then he leans in and he laughs and then he gives me a kiss. It's like, no son, we don't kiss in hockey at all. We stop that. You only kiss your mother. That's what we do. I think the same thing is like even with faith. Actually, you know what? Before we faith, because I love talking about golf. It's like the same thing with golf. Like if you're a golfer, a lot of times we are doing all the things we shouldn't be doing in golf in hopes to make it better. How many people can identify, right? You've been to 50 lessons. You think that if you can just turn your wrist this much, that's going to be the magic cure for you hitting it straight down the middle for 300 yards, right? How many people have been there? And we keep on practicing the same bad habits and we don't get the results that we want. Funny thing about faith is that Jesus teaches us about faith. Jesus has some big statements about faith. Paul teaches us about faith. And at the same time, get it, believe it or not, our culture teaches us a lot about faith. Different circles have their ideas of what faith is or what faith is not. We live in a, a world of hodgepodge thoughts that if we're not careful, if we don't go back to the word of God, which is what the absolute truth, if we don't go back there, we might fall prey to forming habits in our life that actually aren't helping us in our faith and our walk with God. So I've come up with three thoughts about what faith is not. We're going to try to shoot, as Pastor Leon would always say, we're going to shoot some holy cows today. Um, one of them, we may hear some pin drops in the room. That's why I asked if I can mess with you guys a little bit because I'm really messing with myself on one of them. But I want to read you guys a quote from a man in the 17th century. His name was Richard Baxter. He is a Christian uh, in England, probably more of a Reformed Christian overall. But he had a couple beautiful quotes about faith I want to share with you. First one says, A life of faith is a living upon the unseen an everlasting happiness as purchased for us by Christ with all the necessaries thereto and freely given to us by God. But then he also continues the quote and he explains to us what the opposite of a life of faith is. He calls it the contrary life. So we've got the life of faith is living upon the unseen, an everlasting happiness as purchased for us by Christ with all the necessaries thereto and freely given to us by God. Note, freely given to us by God. But the contrary life is of sense and unbelief. What is our sense? Our senses, our sight, our hearing, our smell, our taste, our touch. So the contrary life is living by the natural. 
We live according by faith. We do not the supernatural. So the contrary life of sense and unbelief is a living in the prevalency of senses and flesh, meaning you rely on your own senses more than you rely on what God's word says. God's word may say something, but if your senses sense something else, that brings prevalency in your life. To start from the top again, the contrary life of sense and unbelief is a living in the prevalency of sense and flesh to this present world for want of such believing and apprehension for a better world. When you look at Abraham and we look at the faith that he has and the faith that he had is that Abraham had faith because he got his promise from what God had said. He got his promise from what God had said to serve the purpose which God had set. That is key for a couple things we're going to tackle in a moment. Abraham didn't just have some whimsical want that he wanted for no apparent reason and was just walking around speaking and claiming something. He took a word from God, which was a promise that served the purpose that God had set in motion that he would be a father of many nations, which would unify the world, which led the way to Paul writing the words of neither Jew nor Greek. There's no more separation. There's such hostility. The reason why he said that is there's such hostility between Jews and, and Gentiles at the time that a Jewish person, if he had to travel a bunch of days, he would literally go out of his way for days just not to enter Gentile territory because there was such hostility. And Abraham being the father of nation, when we put our faith in Jesus, we actually now have a new superior identity over any other identity we might relate to. Our race is no longer our identity. Our, our job is no longer our identity. Our status, whether we're married or single, is not our identity. Our identity in, is in Christ, which unites every single one of us. That supersedes every other identity the world wants to try to throw at you. So when he writes that, his faith, Abraham's faith, was counted to him as righteousness because he believed on what God had said, and he knew that his body was as good as dead. He couldn't do it on his own, so he took God's word at what it was worth. You guys with me so far? So that is why it is so important to understand that, and we'll, I'm actually jumping to my second point. We're going to back up a second. We're just going to go right to our first point. One of the big things and misconceptions that I think the Christian world has of what faith is, faith is not your feelings. Amen. How many people say amen? If it was, we'd have a bunch of bipolar spiritual Christians. That was the case, right? You go to a worship service, you have a spiritual high, you feel emotionally high, the atmosphere was electric. Side note, you go to a Coldplay concert, that also can mean electric atmosphere. Just food for thought. <laughs> and we think that because we're in that environment, we're all of a sudden ramped up on faith because our emotions are high. But then the next day, we get back to reality and our emotions are in the gutter. And then we think, Man, where did my faith go? For some people, a thought might come to mind if we're run by our emotions. The word says, I'm more than a conqueror, but I don't feel like a conqueror. So faith is not your emotions. In the, in the verse we just read in, in uh, Romans chapter 4, it mentioned that Abraham, even though there was doubt, he didn't stop believing what God has said. Did you know that in the Hebrew word, there is only one word to describe faith and faithful. 
It's the same word. So one could argue to be full of faith would be to be faithful in what you believe, despite your feelings might be telling you otherwise, is that you still are faithful to walk out what God has in front of you. People like this who run are run by their emotions, are run by their feelings, they equate faith to this constant spiritual high. Man, do I feel good right now because I've been in the Word all month and I've done the right thing, so my feelings feel good. So I've got lots of faith. I'm going to believe. I'm going to listen to a lot of preachers. I feel good. But then all of a sudden, next month, you're hit with something that you weren't expecting. And now you don't feel good. And all of a sudden, we equate God's word or God's promise now might not be fulfilled because I don't feel like it's going the right direction. Have you been there before? If we put way too much weight on our feelings, then you are going to succumb to an anti-truth. Because the word of God is the absolute truth. Your feelings are far from truth. Sure, we can use our feelings as to gain a temperature or kind of gauge something, generally in the natural, but in the spiritual sense, your feelings don't mean much. You guys with me with that? We live in a world that's telling you your feelings are everything. Is that you feel like something, you are that. Right? For just ridiculous stories of, of the actual schools bringing in litter boxes because they want people who feel like they're animals to have the proper place. I'm going to say some things that might be a little culturally jarring, but that is not truth. That is so false. And if we fall into this of a affirmation of feelings is that we are falling to a world of anarchy. And we have to stay on track and understand that God's word is the absolute truth. The same thing applies to your feelings is that your relationship with God is not based on how you feel. If you put your faith in Jesus is that you might feel like you've had the worst week or month of your life and you might feel like you're far from God but the truth is is that you're just as tight with God as you've ever been because your faith is in Jesus not based on your feelings you guys with me if we live by our feelings our feelings will tell us who we are that's what we'll believe if we live by our feelings don't judge your faith by your emotional makeup (laughs) A lot of us are made up differently emotional. Faith is not produced in the mind or faith is not produced by your feelings. Faith is produced by the word of God. Faith is produced exclusively by the word of God. So if we're in living in a world where your feelings are all over the place and you're equating that to your faith, I just want to let you know you're going to be in for a spiritual roller coaster of a life where some days you feel great and you're pursuing God and other days you feel like God has failed you and left you for whatever reason you might put on there. So faith is not a requirement, sorry, feelings is not a requirement for the status of your faith. You guys with me with that one? I want to start on that one because that one's kind of an easy one to start with. We're going to move to another one. Hope you guys are ready for this one. This one might offend some people because it offended me. When I feel like Holy Spirit was talking to me on this one in the last couple of months as I've been studying it. Number two, the object of faith is not you and what you want. Ooh. I'm just going to let that sit for a second. 
The object of faith is not you and what you want. I think our modern culture in the last 100 years has influenced us so much, especially in a first world context of Canada and US and whatever, is that faith is there to give you what you want. Which in my opinion, we're honestly in that sense, um, again, just to pick on for lack of a better example, there's, I just wanna be careful how I say this. There's this idea and this thought of if I just name it and claim it, it is mine because I want it in the Christian world. And I think that's so anti-biblical. God doesn't not want you to have good things. Just so we know, I'm not saying that. But there is this idea that has come into our world of, I need nicer things. Man, God, I really want a Porsche. I'm going to put a picture of a Porsche on my fridge. And I'm going to name it and I'm going to claim it and it's going to show up on my driveway. Okay? There is this idea of faith. Now, now, don't get cross with what I'm saying because our words are powerful. Our words are important. But our words are not there to serve our wants and our purposes. I just need to say that because we live in a very materialistic world. And a lot of times we can use faith as a magic, as a magic materialistic button to get what we want. And really what we're doing is we're putting God on the side, using him as a conduit to just get nice things. I hope I'm offending some people right now. <laughs> because obviously it's known in this Calgary Springs Church today. Not you guys. It's first service. For sure, first service. <laughs> but this idea is very important to understand because I don't think anyone's in, intentionally misrepresenting this. I think there's a lot of good intention behind it in terms of the power and authority that you have in your life to speak. But notice what I said earlier about Abraham. Abraham was able to speak and to live and believe on God's promise because why? God gave him the promise and it served the purpose for which God was using. So unless God has called you to go and save an entire Porsche club, right? (laughs) It's purpose, you mean a little goofy on that one. But I believe that sometimes we get this mixed up so much. Abraham was not walking around saying all the right words, all the right magic phrases, and it just happened. No, he got a promise from God. So if you're believing for something in your life, let's say you're believing for healing or restoration in a certain area. There is God's word and God's promise that is there to support that. Amen? So there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible. Do you guys know that? Not every single promise is for us in the here and now. Can I just, my people perish for lack of what? Knowledge. My people perish for lack of knowledge. It's important as Christians, if we call ourselves disciples of God's word, to know what his word says and what it means. Again, a little side note to be very practical. The way I like to study the word is I think of the word of God and two cities. The first thing is I think of the word of God. What is the author trying to say to this city? He is writing to a specific group of people in a certain time and a certain context, trying to get across a certain message. So that's the first city. That's how we read the Bible because all things are possible to those who take scripture out of context, right? (laughs) 
I'm sorry, I mess, I feel I'm gonna mess with you guys a little bit today. So that's how I like to read the word. But the second city is my day and age as a Canadian in 2023. How can that word be applied into my life and my age right now? Does God want to heal things with me? 100% he does. Why? Because I believe as I continue forth, I don't want anything to hinder me that's gonna help bring God's kingdom in my life. Some of you right now in your world might barely be getting by in finances. Poverty is a thing that can withhold and stop and hurt people from moving forward if it becomes more of a mentality of your focus becomes on your money. I believe that God would first rather heal you of a poverty mindset than just dump a bunch of riches in your life as a temporary fix. So if you're believing for something, let's say for a breakthrough in your finances, if you're believing for that, then what I would do is I would go and find what is the scripture that I am standing on what is the scripture and does God's word actually say that to me or am I just contorting scripture for something I just really want? There's a difference. Again, God wants you to be blessed, okay? I'm not saying he does not want. You guys with me? I'm walking a fine line here and I'm just trying to identify ditches of faith, okay? I want to show you a couple of scriptures that have very quickly been taken out of context in the past. I'm going to sit down because this is a bit of a teaching moment. I'm not feeling preachy anymore. <laughs> I've traveled quite a bit in my life for uh, work, conferences on the TV side, preaching, that kind of stuff. A lot of times what I hear, and not to pick on the Americans, but I'm going to pick on the Americans. <laughs> Love America. A lot of times at different conferences, whenever there's been like prayer rallies or maybe there's sessions that broken up where they want to pray for people and whatever, more often than not, I've heard this come up from people in the crowd saying, and prayer requests come in, saying, the word says in Second Chronicles that if we would only humble ourselves and come before God, that God would heal our land in America and he would bring us together. We are at a cultural breaking tipping point in our life and we need God to heal our land if we would only humble ourselves. Sounds great, right? That scripture is totally taken out of context in that moment, just so we know. What God is saying, it's actually, when you're looking at, at David and Saul and Solomon in, this moment, in Chronicles, God is talking to the people of Israel, and he's actually specifically referring to the temple in which he's going to inhabit, is that the people would come and humble themselves towards God. God will heal them and their land in that context. Because something significant happened between Chronicles and now. Do you guys know what that is? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus happened. That is why we are here to bring healing and restoration and show the love of Christ and to be able to lead and stand up for truth and lead culturally in our world to bring healing and restoration to our land. So that's just an example of it sounds great, but it's actually not accurate in the context of the word. We've taken something out of its context. Another one I want to share to you, which is a common one, Mark 11, 23 and 24. How many people are know this one? It says, about the mountain Jesus is referring to after the, the fig tree dried up and Peter asks him a question and Jesus essentially ignores his, Peter's question. And he says, you know what? If you have faith to say into this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea and see and you do not doubt in your heart. You guys are familiar with that? So Jesus is saying something here significant about faith. But a lot of times we twist this. 
move it to the name it, claim it thing of I can just have whatever I want. That mountain represents what I want, but it actually doesn't. What the mountain represents, it's a literal mountain in that moment. They are on the Mount of Olives. They were spe- Jesus is specifically talking about the Mount of Olives. And what he's referring to is he, he's referring to the prophet Zechariah. In Zechariah, he says almost the same thing about the exact same mountain, which Jesus' disciples would have known. And what Zechariah was referring to was that this mountain is in the way of bringing about the kingdom of God, a.k.a. God's purpose. So when Jesus is saying this, it's not just about whatever you want. He is referring to Zechariah saying, whatever is in the way of bringing forth the kingdom of God, why Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God, whatever is hindering or in the way of bringing forth the kingdom of God, you have authority to say to that mountain, get out of my way. So if there are things in your life that you are believing God for, but yet maybe it doesn't line up with God's purpose for life or your life in the moment or season that you're in. That's something I would try to be very conscious of. Okay, God, what do you want for me? God, I, I, I know you want healing in my life. God, this area I'm really struggling in. I've got a mindset that's really messed up. I need, like, what I would say is understand those two things, that God's promises are real and alive, and they're present for you and the authority you have through Holy Spirit and through Jesus in your life, but become such disciplined followers, disciples of the word, that you're not just taking some random Instagram comment or post and just believing it for yourself because someone posted it. That's lazy Christianity. We're going to move on to the last one because, actually I want to read this. If I'm believing God for a promise in his word and I'm believing in the promise the way that it was never intended to be believed for, Is my faith effective? I would say no. (laughs) So come to know God's word because if God's given you a word for it and it's serving God's purpose, you've got the authority to walk in that. And that's a promise that God has for you. Amen? You guys good with me there? I was walking a fine line. I hope some of you got offended by it. I got a little offended as the Holy Spirit was talking to me. I want to read to you this last one because this one is, I think, the biggest one that we all deal with, is that your faith is not based on your merit. Your faith is not based on your works. See, through faith, we receive grace. If it's not based, if it is based on merit, if you feel like it's based on how good you are, if you feel like because I've done really good, I've come to church four times this month, This is my fourth Sunday, has anyone noticed? I've been to church four weeks in a row. I'm reading God's word. I've I've read Proverbs every day of this month. I'm doing good things. So because I'm doing good things, God must be there to move on my behalf more powerfully. We've been there. Told you at this moment, we'd all be very quiet like a pin drop. We've also been in the complete opposite. I've been really bad this week, or I fell back into an addiction I've been, I used to have 10 years ago, and all of nowhere I fell back into it, or I, had a, a, I was dishonest, or I sinned in whatever way that I feel like makes me feel different. As soon as we do that, and we equate that to more or less power that God's gonna use on our behalf, what we're doing is we're falling back to works. You are essentially saying that it is up to me 
in order to get God to work on my behalf. And in fact, what you are saying is you are saying, God, I am good and I've been good enough and I've been great this week, so you actually owe me. That is what we are saying. But faith is not based on your merit. Faith is not based on your works. Your relationship with God is purely based on faith alone, through grace or based on God's grace through faith in Christ alone. That is what your relationship with is with God. That is where all these promises and beliefs that you're believing for, that is what it is based upon. So if you feel like there's something in your life that you've been believing for, or you feel like God's moved away from you because you haven't been quote unquote good according to whatever standard you think good is, I want you to know God's not moved away from you at all. You and God are just as tight as you've ever been. But what you've done is you've allowed the enemy to bring guilt and shame and condemnation on top of you to make you feel like you are not alone. And what happens? We fall back into feelings. So when we recognize and understand that faith is not based, that's why it's very important to distinguish between what the gospel requires and what the gospel produces. The gospel is... Jesus came on your behalf and he died for you. Praise God. That's the good news. So what the gospel requires, the gospel, get this, does not require obedience. What? No, the gospel requires repentance and faith in Jesus. And what the gospel produces is obedience. How many of us have messed that up and got that backwards? thinking that the gospel requires obedience and then I move into faith and repentance. It's the other way. Only thing that gospel requires is your repentance, which means to change. God, not me, not my ways. I'm done doing this on my own. I am yours. Use me. I want your ways. That is repentance. Change. And faith in what Jesus did and then that starts to produce faith and obedience in your life. If you're in the process of I got to do in order to gain, you actually make the gospel null and void. See, the good news, it's not on my part. Imagine if God said, hey, David, I sent Jesus to give you a helping hand. He's going to help you so that he can help you be a better person in order. It's like, God, that's not good news. (laughs) If it's based on me, I am screwed. The good news is, is that it's not based on me. It's based on Jesus and Jesus alone. The reason I'm hitting this so hard is because so many of us fall back into this because we have a habit of it, of thinking it's based on my merit, how good I am according to whatever your standard of good is. Jesus told us nobody's good, only God is good. So whatever you're believing for, your status as a righteous person in right standing with God is not based on how many times you go to church. It's not based on how much scripture you read. It's not based on if you helped uh, an elderly woman across the street. It's not based if you forgot to open the door for your wife. (laughs) It's based upon Jesus and Jesus alone. In closing, if you want to understand what Jesus did for you, is that if you read and you want a a good reading, you read in Leviticus 16, here's a little picture of what Jesus did for you. Is that in Leviticus 16, God's talking to Aaron, who is the high priest, At the time, is that because God was trying to lead his people, but they fell short of God's standard. See, God isn't like, isn't, I'll say it this way. We sang a song, God is holy, right? 
I don't think we grasp what holiness means because it's not like God and holiness is this club and he's looking at people who aren't holy enough saying you can't be a part of our club. Like it's a choice. God's holiness and sin, which we are, cannot coexist. It's a physical impossibility. It's like fire and ice. They do not coexist together. So when we sinned and we fell short of God's standard, we automatically were separated. Why? Because God's holy, but God's also full of love. God also sent a restoration plan. So in this process of Jesus is that his people, which he loved and he was leading and guiding, they constantly had to be atoned for because they were constantly sinning. So here, back to this picture really quickly. God's telling Aaron, hey, Aaron, who's the high priest, Aaron, I need you to go on this high holy day, sacrifice on behalf of the people so that they can go and be in right standing. Okay, God, I'll do that. But before you do that, Aaron, this is David's paraphrase version, Before you do that, Aaron, you have to sacrifice for yourself because you're not worthy on your own to come in my presence. Okay, God, I'll do that. Okay, but before you do that, you actually have to sacrifice an animal on behalf of all the animals because those animals aren't worthy to be in my presence because I am holy. Okay, God, I'll do that. Oh, and, and by the way, Aaron, you also need to be in right standing or right relationship with me because if you aren't and you enter into the Holy of Holies, the place is so holy, you will die. Oh, okay, God. And uh, if you die, then we have to find another high priest and do this whole process all over together. You know what that screams to me? Hopeless. It's the weight of the law. The law is not bad, but the weight of the law is too heavy for any of us to bear. So if you fall back into the mindset of, God, maybe this didn't happen because I didn't do something, you automatically are taking up the mantle to have to uplift and hold the law. And that's not your job. Your job is to put faith in Jesus who came and he fulfilled the law. So whenever you fall back to a workspace that you think you need to be good enough, you automatically are, in a sense, giving yourself, trying to give yourself something to boast about. Because look at me and what I've done to deserve and God, you owe me. But the good news of the gospel is it's not based on you or your merit or how good or bad you are. It's based on faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And that is the good news of the gospel. And when you believe that and you realize it's not about your feelings, it's not about that. When you're here to serve God's, and and very much in close, I'm sorry for being over. But Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom and what? And his righteousness doesn't say, and the things that you want in life. I feel like too often we pursue with our faith the things we want and we forget the one who provides. Get back to the relationship of using your faith to build relationship. Pursue the righteousness of God, which you are righteous. And when you're in relationship with God, God says, don't worry about all these other things. It's so fickle. They'll be added. They come with me. Just pursue me. Let's pray. Which actually, would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? I've been talking a little bit about relationship with God. And if you don't have a relationship with God and you want one, maybe you felt like, maybe you've let your feelings determine whether you have a relationship with God. It doesn't matter how good or how bad you think you are. If you want a relationship with God, we're going to give you an opportunity right now. And the beautiful thing is, the Bible tells us that when you believe in your heart, which is repentance, it's a choice, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's all you have to do today. So if that's you and you want to have a relationship with God today, no one's looking around, it's just me. If you're online or you're in a different site, 
there's a leader there as well. If that's you, would you raise your hand in one, two, three? Awesome, thank you, thank you, thank you over there. God sees you if you're deciding in your heart online as well. If you're in a different site, there's a leader on there. Just raise your hand one last time so I can see you. That's awesome, thank you. Thank you back there. Would you all pray together out loud with me? We're gonna pray with these people who are making this decision for Jesus this morning. Dear God, I come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross, for forgiving me of all of my sins and for rising again. Today I choose to follow you and I declare that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone in agreement said, Amen. Let's put our hands together for all those who made that decision.